Hello, son. Hey, Moon. How are you doing? I'm doing fucking great. Awesome. <laughs> you know where you're at. Yeah, where are we? <laughs> I don't know. Where the fuck are oh, we? Now, <laughs> for something completely different. Hey there, Baked Alaskas and Stony Balonies. We have a fucking awesome treat for you guys today. Just like we talked about in our previous podcast, we're introducing you to our fucking rad friends. And um, we're referring to them as podcasts, I guess. And this individual, I'm going to kind of give them a little introduction because even though they don't really need one, they really so this individual is a first-gen Latina, gotta show respect, gotta show some love, isn't afraid to stick it to the man and fuck up the patriarchy. She's a recent wifey, congratulations. She's been fighting injustices across several different fields with multiple populations, is the founder of the Fuck Greg Abbott Club, and is a triple minority, which she likes to say she's a triple th- threat. Uh, hello there, Miss Leslie. Hello, Leslie. Hello, Sun and Moon. <laughs> yes. Oh, we are so fucking excited that you're here today to join us. I'm super pumped, super excited, ready to get this show on the road. Absolutely. And a fucking awesome thing that we're doing is she's all the way in California right now. And we're still able to connect and have this podcast going. And even though we had a couple of hiccups in the beginning, trying to work <laughs> things out, um, you know, we're we've able to triumph through it all and um, have a fucking awesome hang sesh. Awesome. Well, now we got Leslie here. Um, we get a little bit of brief introduction that uh, Sun gave you, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story, and um, just pick a moment in time. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, well, a huge part of my identity are my immigrant parents, uh, both of them from Mexico, uh, really helped shape who I am now. And one of the big reasons on why I'm so big on social justice and fighting it and helping others through, you know, anything that they may need help with, regards to resources and just help that I can do any research for them and give them a hand. I'm kind of like a like a Girl Scout with social services, trying to collect all my badges because I can't seem to find a place that like truly not only takes me seriously but it's uh, it's clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been really hard to see what like a nonprofit does and not being able to do more because of all the red tape. So I've worked anywhere from like a clinical setting to child protective services i've done children uh, hospice uh jail like i said collecting all these badges but Mm. also seeing what fits me and what i can help and um you know learning more about every community as i go through it Uh, fell in love with social work in college that's where i met son actually um and ever since then you know i've been trying to work hard and prove to my parents that like their sacrifices were worth it and that yeah. you know we're here we're here to stay and we're here to make everyone proud fuck yes thanks to the man. fuck yes i love that message there and i love the analogy of collecting badges um you kind of touched on some of the populations that you've worked with Uh, and the red tape you faced, is there any examples of, you know, a story where you really wanted to do more, but the systems wouldn't really let you? Yeah. um, I was actually working at this clinic and I'm not going to name them because, you know, for my sake, but they (laughs) were, well, they will help you like, you know, the houseless populations and Mm. that included mental health, substance use, veterans and they had me instead of actually helping the community and taking clients in and you know helping find resources they had me call 
and uh, make sure that our patients were coming the next day. So it was kind of, you know, a little frustrating because my, you know, I took the job because I wanted to help people and I ended up being like a secretary, even though the job role was a case manager. Um, and it was just very frustrating. And I, I spoke to everyone about it and no one seemed to like help me. And I, I just felt very helpless and defeated. So um, yeah. I decided to up and move. And it was kind of like a, it was a good time to do it because I just met my now husband. And then I picked up and moved to Alabama to be with him. And uh, it, it was kind of like a refreshing yeah. thing. So I didn't have to, like, deal with the red tape. I didn't have to, you know, go to work and hate that I wasn't helping someone. Yes. Right now it's been a little difficult to finding jobs because of COVID and because of my moving and such. But um, I know that if I'm going to go to a place, I like to vet it now and yeah. make sure that they're going to give me the job role and I'm going to be doing those duties instead of uh, other things. Absolutely. It, it kind of sucks seeing all that like that money that's funded and that money that's given to the community and for it to just be given and essentially the CEO because <laughs> um, no job, no work is getting done. We're not actually helping our you know fellow communities, fellow populations. Right. Instead, we're just sitting around and like flipping through paperwork and it's really sad to see like the reality that some you know social services some nonprofit work is absolutely you know I think that's a really great point to make that you know it's not always what you see on the outside and not they their mission statement might say x y and z but the actions speak a lot louder than the words you know right and I think we're seeing that across our country is there's a lot of talk and not a lot of follow through on things that really need to be changed. And, you know, especially with people who have funds and who have the riches, not pouring it back into their community the way they need to. Mm -hmm. It's really, really sad to see it. Now, did I hear you right? You moved to Alabama first. I did. I, um, my husband was stationed out in Alabama, so I decided to pick up. And I don't know why, but I moved to Alabama for a year. And then um, he got actually recently left the military. So now we're we're out here in California. Okay. What, what prompted the move from Alabama to California? Um, his family is out here, so we wanted to be close to his mom. Um, she's older, so we wanted to spend as much time as we could with her. And, you know, it, it, it helps that, you know, it's a nice free home for right now. Oh, no yeah. rent. Nice. Especially in this yeah. economy. Right. And, and in economy. California. Yeah. <laughs> in California, yeah. too. I know. You know, it's one of those things that you're grateful for. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Leslie, um, was there a moment? that there was like a light bulb moment that you had or decided where you wanted to get involved in the work that you do? Um, it was just, since I was little, I just wanted to help people. Like my mom would always ask me like, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I don't know, but I just want to be happy and I just want to help people. And that was me at five. So oh, wow. It was, yeah. And my cousin actually, a lot of my, I guess, Two of them are social workers and the other ones are teachers and they're kind of like oh, wow. my my um, intro to what social work was. I was asking like, mm. what what do you do? Like, how do you help people? And they told me, you know, like, well, you can be a social worker. And I didn't know what that was back then. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I ended up saying, like, I want to be a social worker like my cousin. And, and that's what I followed their path. Yeah. And that's so fitting, you know, just knowing you is, you know, that's really who you are. You're just someone who's so authentic about wanting to help. And you do that just by bringing your genuine presence. Um, you. you know, and I think you touched on it a little bit, too, is like you had to kind of take on that role because you are first gen. And so you kind of had to be the person to find the resources with your family. You know, what, yeah, exactly. what was that like? It was, it was really uh, tough, like, 
because sometimes it was legal documents that, yeah. you know, I was seven years old having to translate these documents. And I, I, you know, I didn't know how important it was. I thought mm-hmm. I was getting a little older, but I know that some, some uh, people are really resentful for that part of their lives. Like that part of like, Oh, I have to translate this. I have to do yeah. this. Like basically my parents' secretary, but like to me, it's, it's such a little part of life that like they gave everything for me mm. to have this. You know, they yeah. dropped everything. They had a home, they had their family, they knew no one when they came over here. Like it was to me, it was like my way of appreciating them or saying, Hey, thank you. And so I never complained about it and I've always seen it as like a they need me. Um and that makes me feel special. Uh, even up till now, like my parents, like they speak English, my mom, not so much, but my dad speaks English and they can do the documents, but sometimes they just don't understand the verbiage because some of it is, yeah, it's like, tough. for me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> now, do you have any brothers and sisters? I have a brother and he's 13. So we're 13 years apart, but that role is still my role. Like see, they yeah. still call me and they're still like, Hey, can you help me? And I, you know, and I, it's, something that like I said I've been going through a lot of TikToks recently that's like wow like our trauma of like having to help our parents and I guess I never saw it in that light I never was like wow like I was traumatized or like wow this was a lot for a child because to me it just made me feel special it just made they gave me kind of like a sense of being and a purpose uh, and yeah a purpose and I think that as well was a part of my, you know, my social work, social, uh, yeah. social services journey that, Hey, if I could help my parents that there's a lot of more people out there that are Spanish speaking that need help that don't have necessarily children or don't have someone they can translate. So it was like, if I can help that community, my, you know, my, my Spanish, my Latin community, yeah. then, then I'm going to do it. Um, but that's incredible. And, you know, you're so right. Um, you know, I I look at, I, I have two degrees. I have a bachelor's and a master's. And I still look at those documents and they are not created for common people. They're created to create boundaries and borders, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's not a coincidence. It's like these boundaries and borders are not only in our legal documentation, but also in our legal system, right. you know. And I also know a passion of yours is the criminal justice system. Um, you know, what's kind of your background on that? You know, what have you done in that area? Um, well, when I first started, like my first intro to social work, I think we had to do um, like 50 hours of volunteer work. And I chose to do it at um, the county jail of my um of the city that I was going to school in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I decided to do it in the county jail and it was substance use and, um, and criminal justice all in one. It was like, if they had gotten a DWI, then they would go to this program and they would help them out. Yeah. And they would help them get like that. Um, yeah, some of the programs that were given to them to the uh, inmates were kind of to say, hey, like, you're doing this wrong and you need to do this when you get out and stuff like that, which I wasn't a fan of because for someone to want to change, they have to do it themselves. Like, you can't force someone to get sober. It's not going to work. And so you'll see them right back in jail because, you know, you're forcing someone to do something that they don't want to do particularly. And so my... My heart's always been with the people who made mistakes and are willing to change and give it that second chance. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they see an inmate, they're like, oh, they're a bad person. Oh, they did this, this, whatever. Um, but they don't know the background. They don't know why they did what they did. And yeah, you never know somebody else's story, what they're going through. Right. Exactly. Or how close we uh, are to being in the absolute same honest. position. Yeah, I, I've had, like, a couple of clients who actually um, got caught for 
for Seth, but they were getting food for their family so the family could eat that night. And, like, it's just little things like that that we shouldn't, I shouldn't take for granted, like, that I have money to go get food because people are risking, you know, their lives because nowadays you don't know. You don't know, and you can be a person of color, and you don't know what's going to happen if, you know, a law enforcement officer pulls up. And it's that fear that my family had for years before becoming, you know, residents that, like, Mm -hmm. you see a law enforcement officer, and you're, like, you try to be as quiet, like you, you don't make any commotion. You don't, you don't let yourself be known because you know, if it's going to go left or right. Um, and so, um, so that criminal justice is, and a lot of people like, they want to be helped, but they don't know who to ask. And I've had this passion for like giving people a second opportunity or like a, yeah. a chance to like reinvent themselves. They're like, change the mistakes that they had made and um if you really want to you know you will change and um, you know there's your good apples and those people who make their mistakes and you're like you know what i don't give a shit like i'm gonna keep living this life and fuck mm. you and fuck anyone that's in charge and like you know that's on them like that's their life that's how they want to live it i'm cool but you know for those who actually like made mistakes that actually want change um then why not give that person opportunity? Right. And I think that I've always been like an advocate for for those um, those individuals who want to change and um, don't have the opportunity to do so. Absolutely. And I think that's a big big passion of mine is the justice system. I've uh, told my mom several times that like I wanted to work in a jail, like or a prison. I yeah. want to be a prison social worker. Like I want to be there. I want to be in the action because, like, as funny as, like, the joke is, like, I can change them. But, like, you know, it takes one person to show someone, like, I believe exactly. in you. I, you know, I think you can do right by yourself, like, by me. Like, I know that you can do this. Like, let's work and get you there instead of, like, oh, you need to do this. Right. No, like, give them the option. And if they want to take it, but they will. And if they don't, then, you know, like, you will change many lives. You don't have to change every person, but if it hits one person, if any, if your message hits one person, then like, absolutely, nothing else. Great attitude so. to have. Yes, yeah. that's that's so true, and you know you can feel the passion even when you're just talking about it. And the thing that's so hard, you know, being in social services or being an advocate in this country is that you want to fight for all these populations and then you get to a point and each one where everything just intersects where all these yeah. systems just intersect and you can't take them apart because they're so integral together you know like mm-hmm. even what you what you're own populations that you've worked with they're all connected when you're saying you know people with housing insecurity um you know that's someone that can easily be placed into the criminal justice system and usually they're intertwined um usually they're people of color um Mm -hmm. usually they're preyed on by the police you know there's all these different things racial bias um you know, just so many broken systems. And then you go into our school systems, right? And how there's the yeah. school-to-prison pipeline. <laughs> um, and, like, no one like yeah. no one seems to, like, get, like, apart from us, like, apart from people who, like, study it. And I don't know why it's not as obvious, but, like, right? everything is aligned. Like, poverty, everything, it has a root. Yes. And it ends up being poverty is at that root. Like, poverty brings violence. Violence brings, you know... And uh, excess of police force and police force brings, you know, brutality. Like yeah. it, it all has that, that like that specific root problem. And unless we like work on fixing that root, like nothing's ever going to change. And like a lot of people, we fight for the our voices to be heard, but it goes unheard from like our administration. Like, yeah. like I said, I am part of like the I am the president of the fuck Greg Abbott Club because <laughs> it's little, <laughs> it's little things like having him in office and it's not even such a little thing like having him in office has unfortunately uh brought such a hard thing on the state of texas like i'm not you know i'm not a resident right now but you know the 
with the shooting, nothing's been done. With just mm -hmm. immigration, nothing's been done. Like the immigrants or it has just been done, but it what, in the wrong. Exactly, what's being done yeah. is it. Yeah, the let, complete let, opposite of what let's ship all the migrants out to Washington D.C. You know, it's like really, come on, dude. Or well, I mean, like, what kind of bullshit yeah. is that? Or it's like, oh, um, we had a mass shooting, so now we're gonna have an NRA like huge gathering a week right. later, and then <laughs> tell everybody like, don't bring your guns. <laughs> like, what right. the fuck? Yeah, or like the whole like, oh, well, let's just arm the teachers. Like, how does that make sense? Like, you can't even get them fucking crayons, dude. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, how are we gonna afford to just, you know what? Every part thing gets a fucking gun, and even then, like, you don't know what's gonna happen. Like, let's say that a kid gets angry. What if he gets a hold of that gun? Like, mm -hmm. what are you gonna do now? Like, what right. is your situation? Right now, now? it's like, in the classroom I... versus exactly the steps taken so you wanna... before. Exactly. You want to make it easier to be accessible by others, like you're an idiot. But it's uh, with the immigrants that passed away. It's been super hard on me. Um, mm -hmm. I I've actually been like shut down from like everyone because I've just been so hurt from like the loss in in Texas. Like um, it was first it was the Uvalde shooting, and then yeah. um, I think it's fifty immigrants that passed away in the AP Miller in San Antonio, actually. So mm -hmm. very close to home. 46 um, people. 46 people. Like, I could not imagine what they endured. And all they wanted to do was a better life, you know? Like, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's just so hard that the country makes it so difficult. My grandpa, his mother was uh, a citizen. He was a, she was a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. And she passed um, maybe like 20 years ago. And he was in the process of getting his citizenship through her. She was a sponsor because he was oh. 20 months ago. And she passed. And so all those documents are just, you know, crap now because they, he has no sponsor. And, like, yeah. he's got no lawyer. And it's been, hold on, my 26. It's been 35 years of wow. him trying to get that figured out. And... And everyone's like, well, why don't they do it the legal way? Why don't they get the right paperwork? And it's like, people do. and it He takes... is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has been here. He has done everything he's done. And he pays taxes. taxes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And tell me if he's going to see that Social Security anytime soon. No. no. Because he, and he's retired. So, you know, like, my, uh, my dad is such an angel and, like, is providing for him. And he has a home with him. But, like... He shouldn't have to, you know, ask my dad for money. Like, he should yeah. receive the money that he gave to the state for years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my dog just ran towards me. Um, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> oh, you can hear them. They're like, they're so happy oh, to okay. see you. <laughs> yeah. A moment of serotonin, uh, y'all. <laughs> yeah, literally. But, you know, it, and it's very frustrating here to be like, well, why can't I come here the right way? And it's like, yeah. what and is your definition of the right way? Well, and why is it so xenophobic? Why don't I exactly well, and here, looking here, for a better life? Yes. Well, and here's the thing, too, is like the same people, you know, let's just call it how it is, white people, right? That's mm -hmm. the main culprit. Um, they're the same people doing fucking 23andMe, right? And they're like, oh, my grandpa is half French, half German, half yeah, I'm Irish. I'm one sixteenth Native American. And it's like, whoa, oh. how do you think your fucking Grammy and Grampy came over to the United States? Fucking Ellis Island. It's so cool when you're fucking pale. But God forbid, oh. you know, Mexico, people are just trying to get yeah. in, doing the exact same thing that their families did and that they are so proud of and and love to just shout to the world doing the exact same thing it's, and actually not even the exact same thing because texas is mexico yeah literally it's like, <laughs> like this is our land like texas is our land like yeah. i don't know why like there's so much of a fuss but also like um i worked at the um with the organization of uh refugees so it was a lot of uh central americans that were looking for their sponsors here and um it was supposed to be like a three-month thing 
and it was supposed to be it was two thousand children, two thousand boys. Wow. And it was Guatemalan, oh. Oh, um, yeah. Salvadorian, Guatemalan, and I want to say we had a few Costa Rican children, but it's, uh, it's it was usually Honduran, Guatemalan, and Salvadorian children. Yeah. Um, uh, it it was like two thousand of them, and it was all I want to say about fifty of us working like night and day to find these people like these children's sponsors and like yeah. it was calling and it was cold calling and some children had information some children didn't and it was like do you know anyone here anyone right just to a keep friend, them a in neighbor. the States. yeah so we can keep you here and some of them were like no i i lost my paperwork or like no i don't know but can you please call my parents right. and Central America, and so we would have to get the information from them. And it was supposed to be a three month thing, and we got word very last minute. We got word that it was only going to be a month. And if those children did not find a home, that they would be sent to another camp. And I just didn't understand, like, why, you know, why give these children that hope of, like, you know, you're here, let's, you know, let's find you somewhere that you can go like safely and legally right. and then be like oh just kidding you have 30 days to find somewhere or else you're gonna either get deported or you're gonna get sent to another camp where you'll be for who knows how long yeah. and I mean they weren't treated bad I I saw like the living conditions there because I was there like day and night right. um they had like little uh the little beds the cottages that mm-hmm. like the military uses they had those I mean they're not the most comfortable but they weren't on the floor right um they had uh we would eat the same food that they would eat and it was uh sometimes it was burgers so you know like they they did the best for the most part it was uh, i think atv was contributing food for them so yeah yeah, it was it was a lot of like at&t center or something like that yeah they were at the freeman coliseum freeman coliseum uh, and that yeah and that's where they would sleep and a lot of them were getting hopeless so a lot of them would uh, sneak out and just leave because they didn't think they were going to help get the help and i think we um i think 50 children were the ones that got away with uh, <laughs> leaving the camp but uh, you know it's, it's just in a moment yeah. of desperation i Absolutely. i think i would have done the same thing i'm not yeah. as brave as uh, you know the immigrants yeah. who cross um, like i've seen videos and um, I've heard stories and it's rough. It's not any. Yeah. It's not a like hey, you walk in and you're American. Like are you walk right. in and it's like everything kind of to you. Like you face like hunger, yeah. dehydration, like violence, like, too. exhaustion, violence. Like yeah. and then they're young. Of, <laughs> yeah, there there's children who are like six yeah. doing this trip and by like themselves some of the coyotes like they'll take some money for the people and then like just leave the kids stranded yeah. and like well they don't care they're, they're getting the money out of it but like right. we as a country we're not doing a good job at making it easy for anyone yeah. to like seek help or come as one would say legally to this country so um and even visas are very expensive to get like yes. my cousins have to like go to school get their degrees and then show Mexico right. that they're fit and willing like and that takes a lot of money like you have to have mm-hmm. your bachelor's and show that you're in good standing to be able to cross like yep it, and that's, it, that's might, not the know, guarantee of getting that same job here either yeah uh, so it's, it's just rough and then um, just living conditions and when they're here it's like having to get on your feet and like not knowing the language it's, right. it's just very hard um Absolutely. I actually did. Oh, um, I was actually with the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights for about two years. And one thing that I did is I was a child advocate. So I was actually partnered up with children um, who were undocumented and um, were, you know, migrating to the United States. And it was a very, very tough job. So I dealt with zero to five-year-old children. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because that's about, like, the level of Spanish that I speak. And I understand it, but my, you know, speaking back, I'm just not confident enough. And yeah, 
um, and I would get so attached and we would talk to each other through f- pictures and stuff. And I mean, I had a little girl who was five on my caseload and just could tell me just like the depth of empathy that she held and just the bravery that she had was so immense for such a young person. And it was because she had gone through things that you never want another human being to endure, let alone, you know, a child, Mm -hmm. you know, and you almost wish that you could bottle up these stories and like share them just to beg people to have compassion and like see the humanity, you know? Yeah. And like just the intelligence that, you know, people who come like it, you have to learn a whole new language. Like I, my parents, um, I was born in the U S but we moved back to Mexico because I think it was a little hard for them to be away from their families for a little, so for such a long time. So they went back, um, and this is when their visa was still good. So we could go back and forth and, uh, we lived in Mexico for about two years, I want to say, two or three years. And when we came back, they, like, uh, put me in school, and I was in the bilingual classes. Yeah. And, um, and so my How mom old were you? Homework. I think I was, I want to say I was six. Oh. I was six. Um, but I was, you know, trying to learn the language uh, in my bilingual class. It didn't really help. Um, it wasn't until like I was fully immersed in it uh, in middle school. So I think I was about 12, 11 or 12, where I was like strictly speaking Spanish at home and then a little bit of English like at school. And then it was completely English at school and then completely Spanish at home. Mm-hmm. And it was like juggling, like, am I doing something right? Even now, like I get super self-conscious about like the way that I speak or some words that I say because um, – my husband, he he's very, very intelligent and he is he reads books like maybe like ten books in a week. Like he is oh, super wow. intelligent and he'll he'll say words to me and, and I'll be like, uh, what does that mean? And I feel so foolish. I feel so like incompetent sometimes because like I, I didn't grow up with that language. So a lot of I'm still learning it. Um yeah. this is ten years in, you know, like it's very difficult but these children who are babies, like you were working with five-year-old, like they're babies, but yeah. they make themselves known and like they yeah. have to learn everything. Like they don't, they're not given like a, a study guide or they're not given like a no. lesson or who does how you speak English. Like, no, they have to learn it by hearing it. Without their parents. Yeah, or, or a safe adult. Well, that's where TV comes yeah. in. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's no, true. It, yeah, it is. No, it really does. And I think that like a part of the reason why I know English so well is because of all the shows that I watched growing up. I mean, there were like educational shows of, like Clifford and Arthur and you know, <laughs> PBS. <laughs> But I was like, you know, I learned the language. And, and while we were, now, we were like, all watching Dora. <laughs> 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 like, that is but like the helped. worst Spanish lesson, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's something that, like, I definitely took for granted. Like, I, as a U.S. citizen, I know my privileges. I know that I don't have to, you know, be concerned if, like, someone's like, oh, um, you don't know how to speak English well. Like, I had the opportunity to learn it. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not, like, perfect English speaker, but, you know, I'm better than a lot of people, even those who were born in the U.S. and have white parents. Um, right. uh, but I think that a huge part of, like, being, like, a child of an immigrant is, like, learning for them as well. You know, I, I said that I would help my parents with, like, their paperwork and, like, their... Um, legal things and medicare and applying for this and applying for that and like how do you pay your house like um and then like with technology rising like how do you do this on the computer like what does this mean like and i would they were learning along with me and i was teaching them i was like my parents teacher as a child and i you know i never thought of it as like a burden and i never thought of it as like a wow like i'm an adult like i i was thankful for that and i think that that's why I am who I am because of them because of like their commitment to helping me with whatever they needed whatever I needed 
And I was like, I'm going to give it right back. And I'm going to give that 110% with my parents, with my friends, with like anyone that needs it. Um, and, and like, I was always scared to lose my parents. I think that was a big thing. I think yeah. that like, it felt like nothing to me because I was always like afraid to one day come home, my parents weren't going to be there. Like mm. it, it was like the fear of like living. It was like anywhere that we go, like it was, uh, I was alert every single time and yeah, making, uh, a making lot of my sure childhood trauma of well along with all these challenges that you had um growing up and um you know your accomplishments have you had any failures in your journey that you'd like to share anything that you didn't expect yeah i think that like i didn't expect to um it'd be so difficult to get a job with a bachelor's i was always like a bachelor's degree was always glorified when i was younger and then i was so true you know i I didn't have like the financial means to go get my master's. And so I had to make um, if things work with my bachelor's and with my experience. And it just seems to be very difficult nowadays to even get a job. I've, I can't even get a retail job. So I, I've been depending on my husband for like my financial, um, my financial stability. And it's hard coming from someone who's very independent, who like right. grew up like, don't depend on a man like things like that in the household it's like yeah i know but now that i'm doing it it's it's i feel like a failure i feel like i've um failed my parents and i know that i have it i know that they're very proud of me and they're happy for me um but it's i think it's just like an internal thing and i it's the pressure you know the american dream yeah and unfortunately like i go to jobs and will say oh yeah we'll reach back to you and you don't hear for them so you don't even know if you got it or didn't get it right. it's just like you're just ghosted and yeah. a lot of the system like a lot of social services jobs are like oh we're looking we're looking we're looking we're looking to like hire and then you apply they're like oh but not you you know like oh we're looking yeah. for or they're kind paying of like shit like, <laughs> and you're like oh, yeah. with like crazy hours I um, actually keep getting this call from this guy, and he was like, yeah, and it's the same thing. He works with immigrants, and he's like, it's 120 a year. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. Like, you get housing, you get uh, transportation, you get food. Like, it's it sounds fantastic. And then you call him, and he's like, oh, well, you'll be working six days a week. 12 hours a day and it's like well i can't even enjoy the 120k i'm getting like i'm right. gonna be no work working like yeah, yeah and, and that's how it was with child top social services is i mm-hmm. haven't had the opportunity to have a work-life balance in the field that i'm in and it and it's been this like this feeling of failure because i see people on social media they're like oh got this job got this promotion like did this did that and and like I'm happy for them, but then I'd, like on the other side of it, it's like it's kind of um, what is the word I'm looking for? Discouraging, because I, I can't even get a I can't even get a home school job. Well, now, so and the narrative, you know, growing up was, hey, if you work really hard, if you study your ass off, if you dedicate yourself to this you find something you're passionate about because you got to be passionate about it right Mm -hmm. you know if you get a degree in that you will get a job immediately (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. i smell bullshit but that's the thing is like that was consistently taught to us i mean it was never don't be this don't be that because you'll never get a job like that was never the conversation it was always, yeah, and like, you do that and you now, will get it and you'll be successful and, you know, 30, flirty and thriving. Like, that's literally. <laughs> that's it's what, wild <laughs> because, like, nowadays, like, people are making, money, like, thousands of dollars just uploading videos on TikTok. Like, yeah. this girl was on on TikTok saying how, like, she made $8,000 by just, like, posting TikToks and, like, oh. getting a brand deal. And it's like, wow, like. I wish I was that creative. Like I wish I had like the opportunity to do that because a girl gets a job with twelve hours a day for six days a week, and I'm not even touching that. Like not half my paycheck's not even that. Yeah, like I'm not got island boys close. down in Florida, you know, making bank. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's it's just crazy, like how no one really like tells me like well, 
if you can get a job without having a degree and if you get a degree like be sure you're going to be paying that off for the rest of your life yeah if you want a good one or you got to like have a very clear-cut path of what you want to do or networking a lot of networking is so important that's actually very true that is true but people often think like networking is like you have to shake hands with everybody and blah 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 but it's really just like making friends and being authentic (laughs) yeah no you i can't show up like oh yeah i like to do this and this. okay who do you know i don't know anyone all right you're not gonna get the job great (laughs) fantastic you're perfect for the position, but you don't know anyone here. Right? So. Or it's, oh, my my favorite one is, uh, hey, you know, this is an entry level position with really shitty pay, but you have to have ten years experience, and, yes, and oh. be a previous CEO, but also no experience. <laughs> Literally, that's uh, crazy. You never you're know. Like, so what? yeah, I think that like, I think definitely like that's been making me feel like a failure. Is that I just can't get a job and it's just been very discouraging and like I guess me feeling like a failure it's just funny to me but like I never thought I'd be depending on a man to like keep me afloat or like pay for my stuff and I I feel like I failed my family because you know like one of the big things was like you better not depend on a man and you make your own money because what happens if they leave and now you're left with nothing and and like in my back the back of my mind I'm like what if things go left like I have nothing like where do I go like I know that my parents have my back but like I have fear of like okay now I'm depending on someone like uh, how do I let loose or how not let loose (laughs) but like how do I just like give into it and like have him help me and not feel like a failure (laughs) yeah absolutely well I mean it's built in your instincts to feel that way too because you have been you know essentially trained like hey you need to figure out A, B, C, and D plan because your life could be shifting and changing like any moment. Mm-hmm. And right. so for that to apply, you know, in different parts of your life makes a lot of sense. But also, you know, that pressure again that, you know, you've shared with us and we've heard from the, the same narrative from a lot of first generation Americans is that, there's a lot of pressure to live up to the expectations because your family sacrificed so much, you know, and did so yeah. much. Um, so the fact that both of that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, I'm here as your friend to tell you that, you know, you deserve this happiness so much. And, you know, there's going to be a time where your hopes and dreams are going to cultivate because you're such an incredible person. So I know that if if we live in a world where your dreams don't get cultivated and others do, then there's something fucked up and I like to have hope in this. Um, And I'm just excited to see that a shift has been made and it will open up and abundance will happen. And the fact that you guys just got married is incredible. So you yeah, just locked yeah. down that dick for life. <laughs> right. well, a wifey for lifey. True. <laughs> so, hey, I'm divorced at 25, so <laughs> we all have different paths. <laughs> so do you have any uh, resources, Leslie, that you'd like to share? Um, well, uh, in San Antonio, there is a bunch that I have in mind, but there's some that help with the LGBTQ community, and I think it's called ACES. It's been a while since I've been out there, but I think it's called ACES. Um, it's by the University Hospital downtown. Um, it's right across the street. They help with HIV. They help with... Uh, I might have to, like, double-check that. Yeah. No, you're correct. Yeah. There, there's also San Antonio uh, AIDS Foundation as well. Yes. Um, I, uh, I have a, a huge heart, um, for, you know, immigration. They have ISIS, um, in San Antonio that is, uh, helps with immigration. There's communities with children, communities in, communities for children, communities in, communities in schools, sorry, um, communities in schools that help children in CASA. Um, I also am, 
huge, huge, huge love for uh, the Center for Healthcare Services. Um, even though, you know, we had our disagreements, but they do help in any crisis situation. Um, you can call and you can go get the help that you need. And it's so low income and for those who need help, either for substance use or mental health, um, they are booked out sometimes. But if you go at 7.30 in the morning and you go get an intake done, um, they'll probably get you in the system and get you seen as soon as they, they have any availability. Awesome. Um, and they, they are a, a CCBHC, which they um, primary care mental health and substance use clinic. So yeah. um, you have your primary care doctor speaking to your psychiatrist, speaking to your right. um, substance use counselor. Like it's all in one. Oh, so wow. You know, yeah. Keep, and they also have everywhere. Uh, like sponsored beds and facilities if you need it as well, right? Yes, and they work alongside with Haven for Hope as well. So they, um, there's, there's, I want to say, 23 clinics in the, in the San Antonio area, and they all focus on different things. I know they have a Joe Divergence uh, one. They have a only primary care one. The one downtown does primary care and mental health. And then uh, the one on, the one by... Uh, Haven to Hope, that's literally across to from Haven to Hope, does uh, substance use. So mm. if you need any help with, like, um, any substance use issues, um, I think they have uh, help with, what is it called? Met- the drugs that they use instead of heroin or oh, methadone. 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 Yeah. methadone. Mm. They have a methadone clinic. Oh, wow. And on Thursday, yeah, on Thursday nights, they also have, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they have a free dermatology on um, Thursday night. I want to oh. say at 6 p.m. at that clinic. Wow, um, awesome! So Salad. They're kind of a, it does it does have you know a because it's a small clinic and they help the whole city. Um, it yeah. does have a large population going there, so it's hard yeah. to get an appointment. But if you do, you can you can get in. They they do a lot of good work, and I have a lot of friends that are still there. They're phenomenal um, mm. PAs and psychiatrists mm. and yeah. uh, nurses. Awesome. Yeah, basically, you know, get out there and support these grassroots and these incredible organizations that Leslie just brought up to us. Um, so important to help individuals um, like the ones we've talked about today, but also yourself if that's how you identify as well, you know, whatever's going on with your life. You know, thank you so much leslie for oh, really i got one more big question for oh, you got one more big yeah question? one more big question okay. the most important one what's next yeah, for leslie so- yes oh that is important what is next for leslie uh leslie is currently trying to get a job at home depot but uh, <laughs> in all reality we're waiting for um the faa to actually got approved to go uh, be an air traffic controller for the government nice. so we're waiting for them wow. to send us a location to see where we uproot and we're probably going to make that our permanent home and our, uh, hopefully it's close to San Antonio, but if not, you know, there's always flights. But uh, as soon as he gets that location, I'm actually going to go back to school and get my master's. Um, yeah, and thankfully, like, um, because of, you know, personal things that go on and <laughs> behind closed doors, um, I it will be actually completely paid for. So I will be no debt to my name um and oh, hopefully so you know i graduate in the next couple of years and yeah. can start working and going to jails and putting in my applications hopefully they take me but um, that is right now what's going on is we're gonna wait for him to get a location and then we're gonna move yet again <laughs> and the third move in a year but yet again and um and then I'm going to start applying for my master's program. Awesome. We'll really look forward exciting. to hearing about it. Yeah. So and if anyone, needs any, if anyone needs any help finding resources in San Antonio, like I am available every day, all day. So if you shoot me a message, if you want to share my information, they can shoot me a message and I'll do yeah. my awesome. best to yeah, help we'll, them. We'll, we'll so get incredible. that info from me and put it in our show notes. Yes. Uh, you're so incredible, Leslie. You know, such a genuine person when we met 
I just knew you would be someone that'd be in my life forever. And that is stood true. Um, we've been friends for like over five years. That's really crazy. Um, yes, it is such a great time. Yes. Oh, you know, no matter what you're, you're just, you're always someone like we can just pick up talking like, no time has passed and I know that that will continue because awesome. you're just incredible. Yeah, the problem is getting me to stop talking. That's when no. you're like, oh, all right. <laughs> no. All right. No, your voice is a powerful one and we love to hear it. Most definitely. All right, that was our interview with Leslie, a friend of uh, Sun here and uh, my new friend and uh, yeah. I felt really good about it and what she had to say. Me too. That was incredible. I'm so grateful that I am able to have just amazing, incredible friends. And you guys will hear, you know, Leslie's just one out of, honestly, we're about to have kind of a significant amount of guests here, you guys. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Thanks for listening, as always. And remember, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time, bitches. Hey there, Baked Alaskas and Stony Balonies. It's Sun, and we want to say that we love you oh so much. And do you like what you hear? Well, then show us some damn love. Go to our podcast description in our show notes, and you can click a link on there and get us some coffee. Because, um, you know, everyone loves caffeine, and we especially love it. So come show us some love, buy us some coffee, and you will be our new favorite person, XOXO.